0: Welcome to the Made for People podcast series brought to you by Driven by Design Award Programs. I'm Mark Bergen, the founder of Driven by Design, and joining me as my co-host on this series is Kirsten Mann. Kirsten spends a lot of her time with other product management executives, and she's taken the opportunity to interview them and bring to you the stories about how they're made for people, how the projects that they're working on are made for people, and how also the outcomes that they're creating are made for people. But enough of me, over to Kirsten. Now, for those who are still wondering, who is this David McKay? Well, he was the commander of the nuclear-powered fast-attack submarine, USS Santa Fe, Sad to fee. And that was from nineteen ninety-nine to two thousand one. And became known for transforming it from the worst performing submarine in its fleet to the best. Yeah. So that's a pretty amazing feat. He turned his journey into a best-selling book, as you do, called Turn the Ship Around, A True Story of Turning Leaders into Followers. David, welcome and thank you for your time today.
1: Thanks, Kirsten, for having me on your show.
0: Now, for this first part of the interview, I actually want to talk a bit more about and elaborate on some of the things that we just don't get to hear about when we've heard your presentation about Santa Fe. Uh Uh-oh. So this is going to be the first part because I put the question out to lots of people and said, what do you want to hear about, right? And people flooded back in, so it was really interesting to see what people want to know. Uh-huh. But uh, it was like, especially around the deployment of the Santa Fe, right, mm-hmm. where the notice of deployment seemed very last minute because you'd been studying for a year on the previous submarine. Yeah. And suddenly you had to go off and do this other thing. Is is that how it's planned in, in your no, environment? No,
1: no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. It, typically the commanding officer... It's all programmed by an elaborate plan. So, for example, the commanding officer's length is about three years, pretty precisely three years, actually. So, the day you get there, you can pretty much figure out within two weeks the day you're going to leave. But the whole system can figure that out too, which means they're going to prepare, they're going to promote train and prepare another commanding officer and they know since x number we have so many submarines it's just a math problem how many do we, do we need to have ready so it was a very unusual situation every once in a while someone gets fired and then you typically you'll take someone who maybe they just left command and so they've been approved submarine command we will put they will say hey we need you go back for a couple months till we get somebody else ready but in my case uh, they didn't do that they 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 i was to go to one ship and at the last minute with two weeks they they de- redirected me because the uh, guy before me quit he didn't he wasn't fired but he just quit which was uh, good to his credit and i always viewed him very favorably because of that so, and uh, he so subsequently promoted and some people didn't think that was it was right but but this is a big a perturbation of the system And uh, that's why I ended up on the submarine that I wasn't trained for. But But I I kind of have fun playing it up and say, oh, the buttons were different, which is all true. But, I mean, the physics were the same and the theory was the same and the enemy was the same. So there was a lot that was the same and a lot of my instincts were still good. But it's just the technical, how you actually did it was all different. Completely different. Completely.
0: Now... Was there a large? You talk about where you realized it was that moment that you had to empower your teams and give them control.
1: Yeah.
0: Was there a plan to test your ideas, or did you have the attitude it could not get worse, so we might as well just go for it?
1: I just knew if we if I kept giving orders, they keep following them. Eventually, we'd have a really bad outcome. We'd kill a, kill kill the wrong people, maybe even including ourselves. So it was pretty much panic and fear. All I knew about leadership was about telling people what to do in various disguised ways. And I realized the problem wasn't that I gave a bad order. The problem was I was the one giving orders. And this was a fundamentally different way to look at the whole thing. And so my problem became, how do I get out of the order-giving business as opposed to how do I just become a better, more brilliant decision-maker than the person in the past – now, I would have to make decisions, but it was the difference was we would make decisions only after I was as convinced as I could be that we had every person's perspective out on the table. And this is what the different thing was. I used to try and drive a, a consensus or drive a particular view. And now I would always start just agnostic about what the outcome was. My purpose in running the meeting was to create this environment where every where there's this big cross and flow of ideas and especially the people who were quiet, especially the people who thought differently. I needed them out, their ideas out on the table.
0: So, I think when taking on this task right off the worst submarine in the fleet, basically, it was known for that. What, that must have been quite daunting. Like, what drove you on in terms of this, you know, getting into that situation did you kind of see it as a new adventure or a new way to test your leadership skills what was the thing that drove you to take on that challenge
1: i call it care don't care i like all i ever wanted was be a submarine commander i didn't care about being an admiral and running the navy and that kind of stuff and my and when they said hey you're going to be a submarine commander oops is going to be this different submarine to me it relieved me of the burden of trying to be bureaucratically appealing at that point. I didn't, and so I say, I didn't care about the bureaucracy and the consequences to me, which freed me to do and try new things. And I would ask my guys over and over again, because they were scared we would do stuff. And they were like, well, Captain, if we have a collision and they find out that this is how we were operating the ship, you're going to get fired. And I was like, okay, well, don't have a collision and we say well is this making it better to not have a collision is this way of we're operating they go yeah 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 so we're not going to operate we're going to operate ship the best way we can not we're going to play to win not we're, gonna, we're not going not going to be afraid to lose
0: but it's and It's really interesting when you said before about okay, I'm coming into this and I'm, I've given up the whole notion of, you know, the hierarchy and climbing. I'm just going to take this as this opportunity to learn in some ways. How is that what you think a lot of people don't do in organisations and they don't embrace that or they're just too married to the hierarchy to um, extract themselves from that and accept those challenges?
1: I. I I don't know I I was not a good hierarchy player and I always I viewed it as basically modern feudalism in the Navy the trick is to attach yourself to someone a few years older than you who's going to drag you along and hopefully they get promoted and then they promote all their all their the fealty that comes behind them and it's just feudalism and, and people. People are getting promoted based on knowing the right people rather than being the best. That was number one. Number two was most of the organization is tuned to a very short-term time frame. It's quarterly, daily quarterly goals, annual reports, annual performance cycle. And what we we saw in the Santa Fe is it took 10 years for the full power of the story to play out because that's how long it took for all the... Junior officers to get promoted and then promoted and then promoted and become commanding officers, which is really the power of the story, and that's a longer time frame than the organ their organization was tuned to. It's just it's like you have glasses and you can only see three feet in front of you. So someone might be great eight feet in front of you, but or just doesn't see it. And it's that's
0: I mean that's a fascinating point, right? Like how do organizations, which are like look at the way shareholder structures work and everything, everything is about short-term incentives. How do you actually help organizations understand the value of this longer-term investing and thinking through people?
1: the 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 game the game that I would play with myself and with my team was I would I called it fast forward, and I would I would just advance it time six months and I would say, so here we are in the middle of November, so what does that put us into April? So I'd say, hey, imagine it's mid-April, and we were thinking back to today in this decision that we're about to make. What do you think those? people in mid-April, you almost sort of detach them and you think about them. Now you're thinking about yourself as a different person. So it gives you this sort of detached perspective. Like, well, what what do you think those people would have wished these people would have done? And then it just becomes clear. Oh, well, we need to do this. Because the long-term investments, all investments in human beings are long-term investments. They're uncertain long-term investments. So when I think I know the answer, a team comes to me and says, hey, I think we, uh, what should we do here? I think I know the answer. It's a certain positive benefit if I just immediately say, start building the product or whatever. Versus if I say, well, why don't you guys take a little time, half an hour, half a day, <laughs> and come, come back with your ideas. They may, not, they may come back with no better ideas than we started with. But if you never do that, you never build a muscle for get building a decision-making machine. All you've done, is you just continue to codify you as the decision-maker. You're just an individual contributor at that point like everybody else. You know, that's not leadership. That's achievement or accomplishment or decision-making, but it's not leading. Leading is about other people.
0: If you think about the um, new model that you rolled out, right, and essentially i don't know if the the time you knew that was really about leadership and everything like it was it was quite controversial and not easily understood and in the book you talked about starting with small things and rolling outwards and along the way there were many times where you even questioned whether you should go back to command and control now have you seen this play out in civilian corporations
1: yeah 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 unbelievable stories um, i I put my email in the book. The publisher was like, no, oh, no, don't do that. You know, you'll get a lot of emails. They're like, uh, okay. And I say, uh, send me your stories. And we've got unbelievable stories. We have um, an operations manager from a, a chain of McDonald's lost 50 pounds because instead of every morning, here's the, here's the deal, typical leadership. She would go in and say, okay, start at store one. This is wrong. Fix that. Go there. Store two. This is wrong. Do this. Store three. 50, store 15. Back to store one. Did you do it? She's a stress eater. It was causing her stress. Bad place to work at McDonald's. She was way overweight. Changed the whole thing. Now, she shows up to work. Phone starts to light up. People sending her texts saying, hey, here's what's going on today. Here's what we're doing about it. Here's what I intend to do. Come on by if you want. Check it. I invite you to come to give us a double check. But if you don't come by, we're not going to wait. We got it. And... And she looks like, okay, it looks like store six. I'm going to go see what those guys are up to. And then she goes there. She lost 50 pounds. 50 pounds. She's so much healthier. And it's on and on and on, stories like that. The bottom line is humans, here's what empowerment normally is. I'm going to choose what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, when you're going to do it by, and the resources you're going to do it by. And Then I'm going to have to hold you, quote, accountable for not doing what I decided you needed to do. And it's all such crap. And that sense of loss of control is the worst thing we can do because that creates chronic stress that makes bad health outcomes. The, one of the most powerful things you can do for people's health is if they feel they're in control of their lives. Am I in control? And so just give people, you might not be able to say, like we couldn't say, oh, today we don't feel like picking up the SEAL team. But you could, well, how, which team are we going to use? Uh, are we going to serve meal ahead of time or afterwards? These seem like small decisions. So if to let the team make the decision.
0: But so I suppose on that point, how do you deal with people who you've trusted and empowered, but they continue to make poor decisions?
1: So I think about it two ways. First is, I, the, my first answer would be, I didn't prepare them. Either I didn't convey what we were really trying to do, or... I allowed them to make a decision that they were uh untrained for which is still on me from a technical basis uh which is still my problem now if it happens 10 times and it's not happening to the rest of the team then it may be a problem with their 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 judgment their processing which you got to get into but the the first that's part two after you disprove part one which is I didn't put that human being in the environment for them to be most successful. So it's like a planter planting seeds. If the crops don't grow, the first the go to is oh bad batch of seeds. The first is water, fertilizer, sun, drainage. Did I put it in the seeds in the right environment?
0: How have you applied the lessons from the battleship to your own life for parent with parenting and things like that, for example?
1: Uh, yeah, parenting is such a good Um, playing field for all those kind of stuff. I mean, it's the same thing. Like, you're trying to get your your children from dependent. you got to start by telling them what to do. Kids don't understand what a car accident is. They've never seen dismembered bodies. And so you say, wear your seatbelt. You tell them what to do. But by the time they're 18 and leave the house, if they haven't figured out to put the seatbelt on their own, then that's your failure. And so you gradually wean them and you widen the boundaries and you take first, you know, it starts with like getting dressed and then going to school and transportation and your friends. But eventually, now you can choose what you eat and what you drink and that's on you. But you slowly widen the boundaries and it's the same. It's, it's just letting go of that control constantly, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, So, it, but it's, super, it's a super hard. It's a super struggle. And so in my own company now, uh, of course, we try and li- we eat our own dog food and live our own principles and I almost think well I get a lot of help because I'm never there because I'm always traveling around I get to travel a lot so but I I almost feel like I've gone too far I've almost just abandoned them but is it it like a servant
0: leader approach that you take
1: I I, yeah I struggle with the word a little bit because I think the image to me it's more of a win-win. The servant leader, for some reason, triggers to me, I lose, so you win. I sacrifice me for you, which isn't, I don't think, what it truly is, but for some reason, that's what it triggers. The idea is, will be I'll be better off. My life is way better because I've helped you be better, which then reflects back on... Into my, well, number one, you practice saying, I don't know. Look, it all, all starts. With a founder, it does start with a person. It's like you have a bunch of one-year-olds because they don't, they weren't there. They don't know. They didn't know have your vision. And it does start with you. You start by sweeping the hallway and driving down to pick up the pizza, and, and it starts with you. But it, then you're successful. Now you have five people and 10 and 50 and 50, and you have 100 people. You can't do it. So... You need to build a team of thinkers. Otherwise, it's a fragile system because if you're wrong, everyone's going down. Now, you can say that, well, at least I look in the mirror and it was on me. But I, I, at the end of the day, what's more important to me as a founder is the lives of the people inside your company that you made better as important or more important than the other people outside your company.
0: Your thesis is essentially if you trust and empower and tap into people's innate desire to do the right thing, now, you know, you'll get the the great results and output. Now, Facebook has nurtured a culture of empowerment that has led to a number of big governance issues, right? They've got issues around individual privacy and data security. So how do you know when empowerment has gone too far?
1: Well, other people tell you, like <laughs> you get sued or something. It's I don't know what's causing Facebook, but I would much rather air that way than 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 the other way. And you can it's a pendulum, you go back and forth a little bit. But if you never in naval, in naval gunfire, we have a thing called uh, ranging the target. If I mean, if you never feel oh, I've just empowered a little bit too much there then you're never empowering enough because you're always below the target. So ranging the target means if I, imagine the old days when we would shoot a shell and it would land in front of the target and then you would say increase, you know, raise the cannon a little bit and shoot a little bit in front of the target and run in front of, you don't want to do that. What you want to do is raise the cannon a lot and then have the shell go on the other side of the target. Now you know it's somewhere between those two positions and then you can just start tweaking it in As opposed to if you're always too short, you never know where the other end of the boundary is. And
0: David, something I absolutely had to ask you. I'd heard this story about how um, there's a book that a lot of people know, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Great book. I heard that they actually wrote an eighth habit based on your theories.
1: Uh, Well, yeah, close. (laughs) So Stephen Covey wrote that book. It's an amazing book. Stephen Covey's an amazing person. And he heard uh, what we were doing. I was using the Seven Habits. Habit one: be proactive. And I just kept saying over and over again, "What would it sound like if the whole organization operated with this habit? Be proactive. Think win wins Start uh, seek first to understand before being understood. Blah blah blah. And 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 so we took it and boil it down into language and then apply it to the organization. That's basically what we did. And then Dr. Covey heard, heard about it and came he rode the ship It was an amazing day for one day, met the families and uh, he was really quiet. of course I was super nervous and he comes up to me at the end and he's like, like tell me like here's what I noticed And, and he kind of we walked through this ladder. When people say, tell me what to do, we, no one tells them what to do. They say, well, what do you see? And then what do you think? And what would you like to do? What, and then what do you intend to do? And it's this latter. And he said, I'm going to write about this. I got a new book coming out. It was called The Eighth Habit. But uh, this one thing is not the eighth habit. The eighth habit is a bigger idea. But this level, this way we talked is a piece of it. And it's a story that he tells In that book, and then he did write, he was gracious enough to write the foreword for my book when it came out. Sadly, it was just before uh, he died, he was in a bicycle accident. And uh, we got the foreword from Dr. Covey on the 1st of April, and I think his accident was on the 19th of april so it was uh, one of the last things that he ever had a chance to do it was very sad
0: that's amazing though that he was able to be part of that journey with you as well
1: oh it was such a it was such an amazing day and he was such he was so gracious and we and we had the and it was double trouble because we had the families we had we'd scheduled for a long time this family cruise and so we had we had all these kids on the submarine which is like the worst possible day for a submarine command like you think the chinese navy's scary no Put like a 10 year old on your submarine. <laughs> and then, and then really you really no don't fear. They're going to push oh gosh, the button. Yeah. And, uh, so it's, and like you just run around, you know, you're biting your nails all day. And then this was the day that we could, that Dr. Covey was coming. And I really was like, Oh, we can't do it. My team was like, we're going to do it. Cause they always, they all knew. I mean, we all, we all knew the influence of Dr. Covey on how, on our success. And we all wanted to make it happen.
0: Is your theory of leadership,
1: part of it is
0: it suspends ego, right, in decision making. Now, but ego is often seen as a driver in terms of performance and things. So where do you see ego fitting into your paradigm? People
1: say that I never felt like I suspended my ego. I felt like my ego was invested in driving the team forward, but it wasn't invested in my own personal so, so in a, in my own personal idea of, of, like, go north or south. So here's what I see happen. Imagine, like, there's a reason we have a skeleton and soft tissue. We have hard and soft tissue in our body. And so what happens is if we never control the—if we never build a skeleton, we never build a structure by which decisions get made, then I have to manage every decision— Every decision that comes up is randomly aligned to good or bad because we don't have a decision-making factory. And so that means I get sucked into making all these decisions. And psychologically, it feels good. So we like that. And it's very short-term and it feeds all these things that humans like. But once you build a decision-making factory, the decisions that come to you are much more resilient. And you have to trust the process. And so every once in a while, a decision comes up, you say, I don't know about that. But you got to say, let's tr- do it because it's come through the process and the process has a great track record. The process of getting everybody's opinion on the table before the decision is made, it'll be a better decision. And you're just one boast at that point. So
0: David, leadership is often this thankless task, right? Much like parenting in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's right. What keeps you motivated?
1: This is personal for me. I've, I've seen the effect of toxic leaders. I, on me i've seen how it affects my has affected my life I've, I've had um some health issues because of the environment that i was in and the, and the and the irony is they are, they're not bad people but they're just people with the wrong playbook they think they're doing the right thing they think they're propelling the organization forward. But the way they're treating people, it's terrible for people. And at the end of the day, we're, we're using our people to do something else to, to maybe help other people. That's how we justify it. But it doesn't make any sense. you got to help. you got to be there for the people in your company. And so I become incensed. I, it's just this issue of good people trying to do the right thing but programmed in the wrong way and we got to reprogram the way we, we talk and the way we interact and the way we help people.
0: I love that, that the concept of people and also the playbook and I think my final thing is I've heard you've got another book coming out. Yeah, is that another playbook?
1: Ex- it is the is. I'm calling it the new playbook. We're re-engineering the language because so here's the, really short. Here's a story. In the industrial age, We had thinking and doing, which we have now. Those are two things you do with your brain. You either do stuff which is focused, uh, narrow perspective, or you, you think broadly, collaborate, broad perspective. And you have to go between these two. In the industrial age, two different groups of people were assigned those two different things. The workers did the doing. Leaders did the thinking. What we need now is for everybody to be both a doer and a thinker and to have that. So now we're going to separate doing and thinking, not by cast, but by time, which requires a whole other group of things. Because if we're the doers and the deciders, we're going to have to stop and reflect back on what we did with the dispassion of being a different person, even though I know I was the person who did that and made those decisions. Because in the old days, we didn't need that. That's why psychological safety and these kind of things matter now, but not before. Because in the old days, it was like I had someone else judge you. you know, I had people walking around with clipboards. Management of the clipboards could watch the workers. We didn't ask the workers to self-assess. That wasn't part of it. That only, need, that only happens now when we need the doers to be the deciders. And the irony is you get better doing and better deciding and healthier human beings. Yeah, so uh, I'm super excited. I'm, I'm, it's a re-engineering the language, new playbook for leaders, but the, the title is Leadership is Language. And it's coming out in February in the U.S. and the U.K. and later in other languages.
0: I love your, I love your leadership letter, so I'm thinking it's going to be
1: building, building on, that on that language. But it's in a, in a more structured way. It started out with a list of don't say that, say this. Like, don't say, are you sure? Say, how sure are you? Don't say, why would you want to do that? Say, tell me more. Uh, and, and then we created the structure behind it, and that's what this, these plays are. They're the structure.
0: Uh, David Marquette, thank you so much for your time oh, thank today. Thank you so much. And for your amazing inspirational work that you've done. You've really inspired a whole generation of leaders, yeah. and I hope you continue to do so.
1: That's going to keep me going for another 25 years. <laughs> All right, thanks. <laughs> thank you.